In this special episode of the Driving Improvement Podcast, a table full of PGA professionals come to you from the Mid-Atlantic PGA Super Meeting at Lansdowne Resort. The conversation features a lot of laughs, but also features some great advice for your golf game and what you should be working on in 2022. We also chat about the experience of playing in major championships and what you can learn, being on the range with Tiger Woods, and paying our respects to MAPGA Hall of Famers lost too soon. All of this, plus some great insight into what it means to love the game as a PGA professional and why we do what we do. Join the fun on the Driving Improvement Podcast with Mark Russo right now. All right, everyone, welcome into the Driving Improvement Podcast, and this is an impromptu uh, super meeting, Middle Atlantic PGA version uh, tonight. We're excited to bring you from the super meeting, teaching summit uh, section meeting. We've got, let me see here, we've got, to my right, I've got Chris George from Kingsmill. It'll be a miracle if I get this all right. Uh, Sean English from Elkridge, Lynn Hunter from Kenwood, our president of the section, Andy Weisinger, uh, Robbie Fails from Boar's Head, Boar's Run, Boar's Meat, Lunch Meat. <laughs> Mark, Mark, Mark Evenson from Suburban and Pat Coiner, who has been on the podcast before um, from Baltimore Country Club. So welcome in, everyone. All right. So we're going to we have no idea at this point what we're doing. We're just going to have a good time with everyone tonight and cover some topics in golf. So uh, we're going to go around the table a little bit. Um, Pat. We're going to start with you because you're on my left and my beer is closest to you. Yeah. So we're going to go. It <laughs> seems totally logical. <laughs> so let's talk about uh, uh, instruction. What did you learn today at our uh, teaching and coaching summit? Half day today, full day tomorrow. Yep. Uh, what did you learn today? I thought today was great. We had, I mean, we had a great lineup. We had Pat Bettingfield, who has just been honored as our uh, section teacher of the year. Uh, he's from Bethesda Country Club. He had a fantastic presentation full of all kinds of uh, information from gears and uh, Pat's one of the busiest people in the section yeah uh, not only with lessons but with club fitting and uh, he opened quite a few eyes to some uh, you know some some incredible ways of of quantifying measuring what we all you know tend to see on a daily basis we had a great presentation from our sponsor super speed uh, we've had them involved in years past a lot of us uh, use their products, and they they keep getting better and better and more innovative with with new improvements and advancements. Uh, and then we had a, a great discussion with uh, what was termed as our rising stars. We had some some young and up up and coming teachers within the section that uh, sat on a panel and uh, fielded some questions from John Scott Rattan, Bernie Najar, and uh, and one of our section hall of famers, Bob Dolan. And uh, really opened some eyes to not only uh, their talents, but uh, you know the way the the way that the business is advancing uh, and continues to improve and get better and better. So it was a great day, great day one. Looking forward to day two. Okay, so speaking on one uh, the rising stars, and by the way, Pat, your wife just texted you, so you should take that. Uh, I'm going to yeah. move down the table here to my boy Robbie Fails. Uh, over at um, lunch meat, lunch, <laughs> lunch meat golf at country club. All right, and by the way, uh, just so everybody knows, uh, Robbie, uh, I've, I've known Robbie for a long time. He's this is the the next top fifty, top one hundred 
and I mean that sincerely. I oh, um, appreciate it. So, all right, Riddler, what did you get from today? And that's his nickname, by the way, from me. Yes. Yeah, it's still the best nickname I've ever been given. I, I know. And, <laughs> you know, you should be honored and humbled. I, I am. <laughs> some of our mutual friends like to yes, say. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I am honored and humbled. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I think uh, I think Bernie's presentation was awesome. I mean, just getting a, a visual representation of setting expectations for our golfers, I think, was, was one of the biggest things I took from today, as well as understanding dispersion patterns. The ways that he's able to communicate that to his players is awesome. You can see why he's had so much success. So... Are you happy to be back in uh, oh, your home? Could, uh, could not be happy. Your home territory? Absolutely. So Robbie was uh, down at uh, Carmel Country Club in Charlotte for a long time, um, and he's but he's from our section. What thirty minutes now from where you grew up? Thirty minutes from home. Thirty minutes from where I'm working. Awesome. Yep. Okay. Awesome. And oh, by the way, I'm in standing next to a section playing royalty. Uh, <laughs> I got to do it to him. I'm just so, trying to keep pace with the best. Yeah, yeah. So Mark Evenson from uh, Suburban Country Club is uh, next to me here. Mark's a uh, two-time uh, section champion. Now, the question is, can you get it right? What years you won? <laughs> Nine- we, were ta- we were talking about this earlier, and we were unsure if you were correct. Okay. <laughs> okay. 99. 99. And 05. 05. Okay. Right. And you played in the PGA Championship. Right, no four. In 04, whistling. Right. Yes, I did. Right. Okay. Yes. So you were telling some great stuff. So we're, we're going to cliff notes that version because <laughs> your story really was backed by a, a few cocktails like we're all having and enjoying here. But we're, we want everybody to, to learn from your experience. Well, so just l- let's talk for a second about playing under pressure, okay? Because perfect example, and you, you played in a, a major championship. Nobody's... Just, just give us a, just a little bit, Mark. Like what, what that's like, and what people can learn from that. Whatever you want to give us, doesn't under, matter. Under under pressure means being able to cope with anxiety, uh, being able to understand what's uh, what's important at the moment, understanding that it's not about what you just did or the future. It's about the next shot. Being able to execute. Uh, those things are are buzzwords, but they mean a lot. You need to understand a lot more about what's going on in, in, in inside of you to be able to, to, to hit the shot you need at the moment. And uh, that, that's really what comes down to your success and failure in a tournament. If you're not prepared from a physical standpoint, you're going to fail in any tournament. But you can be physically prepared in every tournament, and if you're not there as, as in mentally state, you, you're going to have problems. So you just have to keep working toward the next shot. And uh, I learned a lot in those events. I really did. Uh, we've got more than just myself here at this table who experienced that same thing. Yes. And, uh, we'll and get to gonna, him. And you're going to get to him. <laughs> it was an amazing experience. And uh, I, I was fortunate to play in a lot of events where I was able to test all those things. So, yeah, it was, it was fantastic. That's perfect, man. I wish we could have told those people in the background that they needed to be quiet while you were talking. But no, it's all right. I'm you know, used to it. With sexual... <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay, so we're 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 moving around the table. Oh my god! So I get around the table here with our our section president Andy Weisinger, and he's got a plate of sliders and fries here. But Andy, we're gonna we're gonna give you a quick moment here before you hammer those sliders down. 
to talk about what our first day of our super meeting here uh, was uh, for you. What did you think of it today? I thought it was very good. Being able to combine several different events that people travel to separately, being able to combine them into one event in multiple days so that people only have to leave their facility at one, you know, one stretch and get multiple uses out of that. With our membership meeting this morning, our Hall of Fame and Awards Banquet last night. That was awesome. Teaching and coaching summit this afternoon and all day tomorrow. Just a lot of things that can be done. Networking like we're doing right now and everyone helping each other get better. That's what it's all about. Perfect. Perfect, man. Okay. That slider over there looks really good. Nashville hot chicken sliders. Nashville hot chicken sliders. Okay. All right. Let's see. Where are we going next? Lynn, get prepared. Oh, no, no. Chris George just gave me the thumb over there, so he's going next. Now, for those of you who listen to the podcast, Chris George has been on before with John Scott Rattan, so my boy over here um, dropped some knowledge on us, okay? Um, Number one thing everybody can work on in 2022 to get better at their game. Something under the radar. How about that? Tracking your stats. Oh, see, I knew you'd have an answer. Hit me. I'm open. I think everyone needs to track your stats. Um, and, and no matter what level you're at, it's extremely important. So let's just say you're trying to break 100 or 90. I think some simple stats you can track are no lost balls, no penalty shots, especially on par threes. I think wedge shots around the green, can you hit them all inside of 15 feet? That's really, really important. And then the putts conversion that you make from 3 to 12 feet. Those are three stats that are going to make any player better at any level. And the higher percentage you make, the lower your handicap goes. Could you be any more of a golf nerd? (laughs) (laughs) I like to make people play better and shoot lower scores. Well, all of a sudden, I I feel dumb. That's how I feel on a a daily basis when I talk to him. But he knows I love him, but my God, he's the biggest golf nerd. But (laughs) all of you should pay attention to what he says because he's one teacher of the year in our section, too, and he's he's an amazing teacher, but he is a golf nerd. So, okay, so... It is a compliment. It is a compliment. I'm going down the table here. Lynn Hunter's here. Our, our, our vice president, Lynn. What do you think of today? Our uh, super meeting. Lynn's a groundbreaker, by the way, in our section. Just so you know, so we're all really honored to be here with her. Uh, but what do you think of today? Well, actually, I'd like to circle back to last night because that's one of the most inspiring nights we have out of the year. Yeah. When we can focus and and hear from our award winners and the best in our section, it's inspiring to everybody to be a better golf professional. And we got to honor the first woman member of the MAPGA Hall of yes. Fame last night, Troy, Troy Beck. Beck. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, to me, that's you know, that's yeah. the way to kick off a super meeting. Bring it into the you know the the regular business meeting, and then transition right into a teaching summit. What a way to give value back to our members to have a whole big reason for us to get together for two days, two and a half days, and. And then have all these extra meetings outside, socialize here, get to know everybody. Top golf celebration. Top golf celebration. Top golf, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, to me, it, it's a, it's a perfect way to bring our section together. Plus, we get to sit here and watch Andy eat his sliders 
I'm yeah. smelling the sliders, right? sliders smell they amazing. Smell they amazing. They smell amazing. They smell amazing. <laughs> so, so uh, real quick, Lynn, too, did you, um, and you and I haven't talked about this, but did you, um, did you know, how well did you know Troy? So I didn't know Troy really well. Yeah. But I'll tell you when, um, whenever I did anything with the section, she was right there silently behind me and she would say to me, pull me aside and say, thank you for doing this. Thank you for stepping up to do this. Yeah. And that's how I knew her. Yeah. And not only what she was doing for the community, but that's how I knew her. Yeah. Well, that's great. I mean, she, so she was, she was great. Um, and I, you know, I was lucky enough to work right down the road from her and, uh, she would come to play our golf course before I was doing the teaching thing. Long before that, she was doing um, Glendale and and Pat. No, what do you got to say, Pat? Yeah. Oh, come on. I'm coming, Pat. Hold on. I'm coming around to you. Yeah. That's great. No, I mean, we're talking this about, is off the cuff, man. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about Troy and, and you know, a lot of us knew her. All of us saw the video last night and, and kind of we, we see her records and her accomplishments, but... Uh, I mean, over the last, you know, not the last couple of years when she started to, you know, to decline a little physically, but, you know, five years ago, four years ago, uh, I was fortunate. I went down to Port St. Lucie and she had a place down there. And uh, she and Holly Anderson and, and some of our good friends were down there and I stayed at Troy's place. And one of the things I was always amazed about with Troy was how much passion she still had for not just the Mid-Atlantic section, not just the PGA, but, like, everybody, like, individually. She took time to to ask how you were doing, to ask, you know, just, she just wanted to learn more about you. And one of the things, one of her best qualities, which people don't know about, was that Troy was unbelievable. So the first time I stayed at Holly's place in Port St. Lucie, it was decorated immaculately, and she had redone the kitchen. She, I thought, being Holly. Well, it turns out Troy did all the work herself. Like really? She literally yeah. came in. She did the crown molding. <laughs> she did. She put in a new sink. She put in. I mean, she literally did everything. And I thought, I mean, I feel like I know a lot about golf, but that's about where it ends. Troy was someone who knew a lot about a lot of different things and, mm. could, and could do so many things and was always willing to help and just never wanted to take uh, a lot of credit for what she did. But she was amazing, you know, as a teacher, as a player, as a mentor. I mean, how many juniors came out of Glendale? Uh, I mean, it's countless. There's no way to yeah. even quantify it. So she was, she was amazing and she was fun to be around. And, you know, we lost her too soon. Yeah, well, that's perfectly said. I mean, I think um, it was funny, too, because we're at this super meeting. We're all sitting here, and, and my Facebook memories came up, and it was a year ago that I had posted she passed away. And um, what I had posted then, I'll repeat now, but when I was at Woodmore, I was there for 10 years, and I had, at one time I had six guys who worked for me who went through her junior program. And they all, to this day, when, I was at the, when we were at the dinner last night, I sent a picture to them that said, hey, we were honoring her. And all of them responded. Like, they adored her. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, that kind of influence. Like, she was the queen of junior golf before all the great junior programs. Right. And in PG County, where I grew up, and where all those kids grew up and where I worked there, like, she was it. 
I have a student yeah. now. I have a student now that uh, goes to the Loyola University, Carlo Pisano, and he was taught by Troy growing up. And I mean, he speaks very highly. I mean, he's like, well, he would not be where he's at without her guidance yeah. early in his, you know, or his career and so forth. So, you know, I didn't know her. You know, I knew her very much in some past, in just passing, but just. I didn't need to know her because the respect that her, her record, the respect that she has from her students that, you know, you, that she taught. I mean, as an instructor, that's really all you, what, all you want. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, so, you know, she left a great legacy and that's, you know, it's, it's really cool that we finally have a, uh, MAPGA, uh, Hall of Fame member that, that happens to be a female. Lynn, go ahead. I don't think people realize what a player she was as yeah. well. Um, she played in 13 LPGA Tour events. She played in two Women's Opens, two McDonald's LPGA Championships. She won every section tournament she could win. She won the National uh, LPGA um, Championship for, you know, mm-hmm. for professionals. Um, she just she won the Women's Section Championship multiple times. Like I, said, I don't think people recognized what her playing record stood for as well. And I think that's a lot of what carried her into our Hall of Fame, was who she was as both a player and a professional. Yeah, I mean, having been at, you know, I worked 10 years, literally eight minutes down the road from her. And Troy, would, Troy and Jamie would come and play at our place at Woodmore. And it wasn't until, and, you know, in hindsight, you know, I wish I'd have known this, but it wasn't until she passed away that, once I looked her up more, I knew her, but I didn't know her playing record. I knew her teaching record and her influence. And yeah. that's still greater probably than any playing she ever did. But still, it was like, wow, like that's. Yeah, I'm pretty sure incredible. she won every PGA national yeah. tournament that she was eligible to play for in her tenure. Yeah, it's wow. pretty great. So, that's pretty fantastic. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So we, we've. So we were lucky these, these you know, yesterday to, to induct our Hall of Fame uh, uh, members, uh, Dean Hurst posthumously, uh, Troy posthumously, unfortunately, as well, and uh, Frank Lauber. Uh, so it's been a good, a good couple days here. Um, so circling back to the game a bit, uh, we got to talk to our boy here. We talked a second ago. Um, if you're listening and I didn't introduce him prior, he has, you know, the, the country accent. Big so, country. <laughs> big country. <laughs> so, country so, boy. Country boy is Bernie Nature, calls me. Yeah, yeah, country boy. So, my partner in crime here uh, for the education committee for our section but and the director of instruction at Elkridge Club in Baltimore, one of my favorite golf courses, by the way. Um, and I'm a little biased as, a, as somebody who lived in Baltimore City and who went to Towson University, but uh, Sean English. So, as Sean, uh, we were talking to Mark earlier mm-hmm. about playing in a major championship. Well, you played in two. Mm-hmm. So, give us your take. What's it like playing inside the ropes? We can all imagine. So, I mean, it's, it's um, I, you know, the, Mark and I played in the, both, the same PGA in 2004 at Whistling Straits. The first time that uh, the PGA went through Whistling Straits. And, I mean, it was, uh, you know... For my experience, I mean, you, you were a king for the week. I mean, it was uh, pretty neat to, to rub elbows uh, with the different players. I mean, I can remember uh, after the first round, I sat and watched Ernie Els. He got done with his round. Actually, excuse me, it was the third round. Um, and I sat on the range and just kind of watched him hit golf balls. 
and and saw how he went through his practice session and stuff. Um, it was pretty pretty cool experience. I mean, I got to play uh, 04 PGA at Whistling and then played in the 08 Open uh, at Torrey Pines. Who won that one, by the way? Yeah, there was some guy named Tiger that <laughs> some won. Some guy that. with a broken yeah. leg. <laughs> Did he make it? Did he make it? <laughs> so the, the, the great part about it was I was literally um, – so both Saturday and Sunday, um, Tiger was uh, on the driving. I, I watched him tee off on the first hole. I was on the 72nd hole, and I was on the other side of the pond watching him make that putt. Um, and, I mean, my experience with the Open was something, especially with Tiger, was, uh, of course, I missed the cut. I shot 75-83, I think, is what I shot. But it was counting. Um, yeah, I was at one with seven holes to play. I was actually inside the cut line by two shots, so I, a little bit uh, the finish wasn't very strong for me. But uh, I ended up where Saturday I spent the day and the, the I watched Tiger warm up. Uh, he had came uh, the ninth green they used as a short game area, and he had hit some wedges and stuff over there, and then came to the driving range. And Tiger did something that probably I, I first time I'd seen it happen, but. He came to the driving range, and I luckily picked a spot that was literally right behind uh, where he decided to hit. Tiger hit, you know, you know, probably four or five wedges over there just to kind of keep loose, and then all of a sudden he pulls out a seven iron, and he makes a full swing with a seven iron at the 75-yard flag, and makes a full swing, hits a two to three-yard draw, bounces once, and stops inside of 10 feet. And my caddy and I, who happened to be the Atlantic 10 Conference champion that year, uh, and a great player himself, kind of looked at each other like, what did we just watch? Tiger did it again. Same shot, two to three yard draw, (laughs) full swing, stopped 10 feet. So then he turns and goes to the 125 yard flag that was to his left. Takes a full swing, two to three yard draw, bounces one, stops inside of 10 feet. And he did that twice. And it was like, so he had two shots to 75, two shots to 125, full swings, and With both of them were inside iron. of 10. Seven iron. With a seven iron. Oh. It was a seven iron. Let's clarify that. Seven yeah. iron. Club he can hit Amazing. So he then hits. Right. So after hitting two shots to each one of the targets, he pulls out a seven iron and hits it to the 175-yard flag. Again, two to three-yard draw. Hits it 10 feet. And, I mean, I, we sat there and watched him, and, and he did not miss a shot until he got to his driver. I mean, and I'm talking, he, he would hit a ball, and you could tell he was going to maybe hit a you know, longer iron and hit a little bit of a, a falling shot to the right, a little slider to the right, and it was just two to three yards. And then he got his driver, and he, would, he, he had a little bit of a block to the right going on, but he had hit... You know, a ball that turned probably three to four yards to the left with his driver, and he'd kind of hit one, he'd push one a little bit out. But it was just amazing to watch the greatest player at that era, there's no question that we're going to have to hold on a little bit. We're going to take a break, a a momentary pause so we can all sip our beer here. 
while the trash cans go by. Right. Okay, I'm not. I, I am not going to do an edit for that. No, but like, okay, wait a minute. We just now have. We have. Okay. You want to talk so, about royalty? So, we have royalty walking. Hold, hold on. Hold on. John Dunnigan has just walked into the room. JD. JD. So. JD. So. So we are recording this as we go along here on the fly, and none other than uh, Pennsylvania royalty rolls up as J- J- John Dunnigan rolls up. What's up, JD? I'm, I'm ready. I'm ready. So, JD, Christ, there's there's, there's, so there's not enough tape in this phone no, to record you, okay? So, JD, what we're talking about right now was, you know, I played in two majors, and we were talking about watching Tiger at the 2008 Open at Torrey Pines when he won, beat Rocco in the playoff. And I was talking about how I saw him warm up and how he hit the shots that, you know, he hit a, 70, a full swing 7-iron, 75 yards, full swing 7-iron, 125 yards, and then turned and hit it to 175 yards. You've been out on tour watching. you taught Sean O'Hare. So talk about your experiences out on tour that you've seen players and being amazed. Are you what, hosting what, this now? Yeah, <laughs> I'm good. Sharing, I'm you know what? Hey, you know what? Okay, that's a so good who's question. Your, who's your co-chair that kind of helped? Uh, no, no, that's a good question. This? So, John, first off, can you hit a 7 iron 125 yards? I can. I can. I can't hit it farther than that, though. <laughs> 175. He can't hit it 175, but he can hit 125. Great spin. I did hit one 174 the other day. Oh. Uh, that was uh, including the roll. Uh, <laughs> hey, JD, total doesn't count, man. Okay. All right, so we're, we're running around the table, so you're on the spot, like, right now. Okay, I think the truly amazing thing is not what anybody can do on the range. Is what they could do under the gun. You know, and there are some folks that want the ball and some that don't. And the thing that, that is, is stunning is the guys who can show up when it means the most. And, like, in fact, I talked to, if, don't get me started talking. You know better than this. I, I, I know. I was talking you to Rick, Rick Sessinghouse. Okay. And I've known Rick for a long time. I said, Rick, you tell me how you got that boy yours. Colin Markawa. Colin Markawa. When he gets. The heat is turned up all the way. He gets this little, what I call, wry smile. I'm trying to teach all my people to do. He just goes like this, like, <laughs> game on. You know, well, I say something else to the kids that are older, but game on. And uh, that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. There's no question. I mean, the drive he hit at, to win at Harding Park, to win the... You know, it's the shot that he's most famous for. There goes the trash can. <laughs> Goodbye. We'll see you later. So. But, I mean, to be able to hit a shot under pressure, there's no question. I mean, Mark was alluding to that earlier uh, when we were talking about playing in the PGA. When you're playing in those championships and stuff, it's, it's, you have to be able to play under pressure. You have to control your emotions and control, you know, I'm going to say your heart rate because, I mean, what happens when you get nervous? Your heart rate tends to go up. You have to be able to control your breathing, control your heart rate, and be able to perform, see the shot, perform the shot, and execute the shot. So, I mean, what, what do people have to work on? What, what, what's, give everybody, Chris gave a great answer earlier. 
I don't remember what he said, but it was great. But <laughs> what do people have to work on this year to get better? Give me, give me something good. Give, me a, give us a gold nugget, J.D. All right, the biggest one would be this. You need to work on making solid contact from every single lie you can possibly find, which means inventing lies all over the driving range. Add that. Give me a little club face control on top of that. And maybe if you're a normal player, like a normal adult person with a job, maybe stop trying to fix your swing and just match up your face to your path. Sorry. It's... If we pull a sign, if we pull a Seinfeld restance, that's gold, Jerry. That's gold. <laughs> All right. That's gold, Jerry. Oh, that is. So to, that is. Tomorrow's teaching, and of course, my co-host. I, I can say I'm the co-host today because okay, I'm yeah, my yeah. co-host, my okay, partner sure, here. Yeah. It's my podcast. But it's go your ahead, podcast. So go ahead. Ride, ride the lightning while you can. Okay. John, of course, is is presenting tomorrow at yes. the teaching and coaching summit, and we're going to sit here and hear about some of these nuggets that he's bringing to us. Going to give us tomorrow, I should say. So we're looking forward to seeing you tomorrow. Thank you. You are the best. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun. All right, uh, we're going to move. Around. So I'm going to earn my oh, nickname. Oh, the Riddler. Okay, the so. Riddler. So, yeah. in fairness, the, the Riddler here at, at, at uh, Boar's Head Lunch Meat Country Club. Okay. You already got a nickname. So, my question is, do we think of strike and face uh, awareness as a skill or a technique? What is the difference in those two? And if so, what are some actionables and some ways that we can train those skills and or techniques? Did you hear that's what's coming tomorrow? Okay, so most of you probably uh, crashed into a median if you're listening. <laughs> if you're listening to this in your car, because uh, Robbie has a tendency to ask questions, but they're great questions. So uh, I, I don't even. What, did anybody want to answer that? Because I don't even remember what he asked. Chris, Chris. Oh, Pat. All right, here I'm going around the corner. Here, Pat. We'll let Pat do that while I figure out what Robbie just said. So I'm not going to claim to have the complete answer, but what I what I will say is, um, honestly, I think the answer is both. It's an incredible skill, and some people just just have the ability to find the center of the face and strike the ball more consistently. Now, that being said, players who maybe don't have that innate ability or or haven't been well enough to that point I think they can get better at it but I think it's the single most uh, the sig- single biggest differential between great players and even average players is the ability no matter what the you know the swing direction the, you know we could get in, into all kinds of geometry but no matter what the style or preference uh, some players just have the ability to strike the ball more solidly than others. And the ones who don't have it, that's why we have jobs. Yeah. Um, and we have to be really good at trying to improve that skill set. But that I think it's priority one. I have. When, when, yeah, when we have lessons, um, no matter what, I think priority one always comes back to can we get this person hitting it solidly? Because uh, if they don't have that, the rest is, uh, you know, we're just 
grasping. We're just trying to make the misses more playable at that point. You know what I feel is it's amazing that there's a lot of high handicappers that have great eye hand, and that eye hand allows them the opportunity to still get great contact with the ball, even though they don't have all the mechanics that most others do. So they can actually get the club on the ball and do what they need to do with the ball relative to the swing they taught themselves or the one that they've kind of fallen into. And yeah, it's our, it's our job to try to get them better and try to get them so that they can hit it further. But that eye hand that they already have innate is definitely something that's going to help them and us in teaching them what they need to have. Yeah, but do, do, do you feel like, so Mark, do you feel like most of those players have some sort of athletic background already ingrained in them that helps them have an advantage over other players? Most definitely. Yeah. And they may not have 100% of that uh, like most others do, but they have certain aspects of a high-end athleticism that um, maybe they just didn't get a chance to to get better at when they were younger and and they and they're able to bring it out in the in the time when they started to learn golf it's it's something there and you see it we all see it as teachers yeah it's great and it helps us along that line sean you got something well yeah i mean it's it's one of those things that i mean any student that walks in the door first thing i want to do is create solid contact they need to hit the ball solid so i mean what robbie's saying is is i mean you know, one, you know, is this a skill that we can teach? Is this something that they naturally have? And, you know, there's no question that, you know, when somebody walks in the door, I'm looking at solid contact first. I want to get them hit it straight second. Then I'll, if I've done that, I've probably already created number three. It's kind of like, I think our presentation today from Bernie had this in there that yeah. you get solid contact first, right. you get club fit, you get direction second and you get distance third and i mean i think what robbie's trying to say here and robbie you know the riddler can can come back in here but you know is it a skill that you learn or can we teach that now i feel like we can teach it of course through hand you know hand path direction and what we're trying to get the player to do i mean they're either going to be steep or they're going to be shallow and we have to you know figure out what they are and then kind of like Mark saying is then try to teach them which way they need to go. Do we need to add steepness to a shallow player? Do we need to add, get a too steep player? I'm a very steep player, yeah, as you yeah. know, and you know, I've got to get a little more shallow. All right. So Chris George, the, uh, the godfather of Kingsmill, uh, is, is waving his finger at me. Um, so go ahead, buddy. So, on the lines of this, I think it's really important for every player that's listening to this to understand the space that your golf swing should need to live. So when you're working on your game, there are certain things that you do well that help you create good, consistent contact, diminish the curve, and reduce the amount of dispersion between your carry distance. And if you're focused on making change on your golf swing in those three areas, you're going to make drastic improvements and then spend a lot of time on the golf course scoring and getting better at getting the ball in the hole so in doing that 
you now have what do I need to do, as Sean said, to understand the parameters. If I'm too shallow, what do I need to change to make it a little steeper? Or if I am hitting the ball off center of the face, what changes do I need to make? So just imagine you're driving down the interstate, you have a three lane interstate, and you can change lanes, but as long as you don't hit the rumble strips and you're still going north, that's a great concept in your golf swing to have. But understand what you do well and understand what the parameters are that you need to stay within to be successful. And it's really important for you to have guidance from a instructor or a professional of the golf swing to be able to do that efficiently. Perfectly said. And by the way, after tonight, there's probably a lot of us that would hit the rumble strips at this point. <laughs> okay. let's, but, go, let's go back to know, our rising star. I oh, want yeah. Him I want to answer I want the it, question. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Robbie Fails, uh, the Riddler, uh, started this. So, no, I'm, I'm going to piggyback on George's, uh, uh, on Chris's driving analogy. I like to think that technique is like being generally in the road, not falling off one way or the other. I think of skill as those little micro adjustments so the way that we keep ourselves on the road is not by keeping our hands in the same orientation on the wheel we need to allow ourselves the ability to make those micro adjustments one way or the other and i think it's the awareness of how to make those micro adjustments and when to make those micro adjustments that allows us to be skillful so i think there's technique that allows us to be skillful and technique that does not allow us to be skillful but i don't think any technique is a substitute for skill development. And I think like some of Sasha's research I think is super valuable for the technique of, hey, like if I just had one arm on the club, what would I have to do to present the face somewhere near the target? And that's like how I present that lead arm only drill. It's like, hey, listen, like I'm not worried about exactly where the face is right and left. I just want to say, hey, can you take one arm on the club and orient the forces along the hand path relative to the center of mass such that the face looks generally at the target. But if you have a better golfer who needs to fit the face in a two or three degree window, then they need to feel what is four degrees open, what is four degrees closed, and start to scale those differences and those micro feels to get the desired uh, more precise face awareness that they're looking so for. You, so, you, so essentially what you're saying there is you've got to give them the spectrum of extremes, right? Totally. The, the bookend. Like, I think, I think a lot yeah. of Dunnigan stuff uh, and, like, Dr. Will Wu's stuff when it comes to, like, skill development and kind of scaling the feels, I think is, is super valuable. Like, a super uh, dumbed-down way to present it would be, like, Goldilocks, right? Yeah, yeah. What's too much? Yeah. What's Bring not enough? And yeah. then what's somewhere in between? So our brain is able to use those reference points to learn something that's very micro, something that we can't see. Uh, I present to golfers sometimes is like, hey, technique is what I can see uh, from the complete other side of the range. I can see generally how you move. I can see the macro, but I can't see exactly where the face is at impact. That's a skill that you need to be responsible for uh, training on your own. So uh, that's, perfect. that's perfect, man. Um, so let's, uh, uh, yeah. let's, let's go to let's add to that though. So, yeah, good job. So, when we're working on skills, and Doctor and Professor Doctor Wu, how many how many skills can you work on at a time? <laughs> it's, it's a great it's a great question. I I I like to chunk skills. Like I like to isolate them, uh, and then 
I like to add uh, context in terms of the different layers. So uh, I think what you're alluding to is like if if I have a player who's struggling with horizontal strike location, heel toe, uh, then as they're working on heel toe awareness, I'm not necessarily too concerned if they're hitting it a little high on the face or low on the face, as if they're hitting it with the face a little too open or a little too closed. The only thing I'm judging in that time is the thing that I'm is the aspect of that skill that I'm trying to train. Uh, but then, obviously, in the context of being on the golf course and playing golf, all of those skills end up needing to be chunked together to produce a functional shot. So I think it's just almost identifying what aspect of that skill do you need to train and just isolating that for an undetermined period of time and then uh, and then hoping and, and praying that that, uh, <laughs> that, that awareness. Yeah, you had us all with all this amazing information and, and he said hoping and praying. Robbie, way to go. Okay. Way to go. Seriously, like, that, that is, that, that can't be lost is like all of these things, like, I don't have the playing experiences that a lot of you guys have, like literally playing in major championships. I mean, the old adage of like you fall to the level of your training, there's got to be something to that. I mean, the the work that you put in has to be trusted at some point under the gun. It's not trusted Uh, upon numbers. It's trusted upon feel. Yeah. Right. However, that feel can start to be fixed by understanding numbers. So it's a mesh between the both and understanding what's going on from a technical standpoint and then creating something that's more innate and and more just physical and athletic. Sure. And I guess like kind of where I'm headed to that is like, I don't, again, I don't know, but how, how aware are we or how conscious are we in the course of a tournament on where my horizontal strike impact is? Right, like, are we? We're probably not coaching our golfers to like be consciously thinking of the face and where they're trying to present that at impact. I mean, we might. I don't know. Like, that's just a hypothesis. Like, I think of when we're playing golf as more of just all of these things, all this information is just kind of getting. I'm not going to say the, the c word again. <laughs> uh, all this information is kind of getting like jumbled and mixed together, and then you have the perception action coupling, and then eventually you have a, a force and emotion that results from that. Um, so I, I don't know if that, that explains kind of why I said hoping and praying. But, <laughs> yeah, but you, you end up where you, we work on these skills on the driving range. And one of the things that I try to do with you know, when I'm working with a student is, is we're going to work on the, on the skill and we're going to try to change maybe, the hand path needs to go a little bit more into out uh, to kind of eliminate the shot that, you know, they need to get rid of their slice and they're coming over the top steep, moving the hands too far to the left. So trying to shallow them out and get their hands moving more out to the right to create more of the right to left ball flight. But you do this and so you you do it to help them and you get them their swing better, but then you've got to sit here and say, okay, I'm going to give you five shots and I want you to hit three of those shots within this range and try to get them to then try to put some type of pressure on them on the golf course that you're, you know, the, that we're changing 
and this is kind of where you're talking about, Robbie, is that we're trying to change them to what's going to happen when they go to the golf course. Because right. I always talk to them about that, okay, it's going to be great. I said, once you feel comfortable here on the range and we're hitting these shots and now you've hit three out of five or four out of five shots, okay, so now let's go out and you and I go out there and hit some shots and let's do it on the golf course. And now we've got to hit three or four shots onto the green. Then let's go, okay, Saturday you're going to go play with your buddies and, and Mark and Pat are, and Chris are my partners here in their own on the range. Mm, got to help you. I'm, 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 going to get, I'm going to get a little more pressure because I've got these two over here, you know, Pat and Chris is in my ear right now going, can I, you know, you're going to, you're not, you're not hitting that shot. And remember the last time you tried that shot, you dumped it in the bunker. So, you know, the pressure of your friends is then kind of creating that on the golf course. So, Pat, I mean, you know, let's talk about on the golf course, mm-hmm. how are you going to change that skill and, and get them to improve? Well, and, and, and just so we're clear about talking about team golf here, Sean and I, Sean and I played an event once. No, no, I'm not going to bring up the fact that Lowland Chapter won the Chapter Challenge, but since you brought it up, Chris, uh, I'll do that. Sean and I played, Sean and I played together a couple years ago, and it was a 107-yard par three, and I had 40 yards left. <laughs> And, well, by, and, Mark, and by the way, I made par. Mark, that's why I played. You put in the chapter championship. You put me with Mr. Coiner and right. Mr. Pat, and I came through and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. handled the We pressure. did, and, and since we're talking about that, day two, we did shoot 10 under par better ball with a bogey oh, on yeah, a par yeah. five. Yes, so I was very happy. That was, that was a perfect example of taking it from the range to the golf course. <laughs> uh-huh. But anyway, um, getting back on track here. Um, you know, one of the questions we always get is, okay, how do we how do we get our students to take it from the range to the golf course? And that's where we, you know, it's our job as coaches to go from identifying a swing flaw, working through block practice, improving technique, and then switching into more randomized practice to where it becomes, where it looks like, more like golf. And then if you if you factor in the idea of maybe teaching a competitive player, then you have to take these ideas from block to random and periodize their whole practice session to where they start to peak at the right times to play in tournaments. And it's it can be difficult because you never know when people are going to hit, uh, you know, a slump. You don't know what's going on in their lives outside of golf. I mean, there's a lot of things that factor into them playing good golf and. Uh, and you know, as teachers, we we wear a bunch of hats. It's like a you know, it's like a catchphrase. But you know, knowing when to get mechanical, when to get field based, when to go on the golf course, and when to when to hopefully get them ready to peak is a tough task. And uh, you know, I'm just just kind of following up on what Sean was saying there. That uh, you know, our our end goal is to help people shoot better scores. And there's more involved in that than just technique. Yeah, I mean, I think, well, I mean, this is all good information, right? And it's all the stuff that we sort of, um, we sort of, it's the push and pull that we deal with every day, right? Yeah. Like, that's what it is. Um, So it's it's difficult. Um, It's a hard game. (laughs) We all know that. Everybody at this table knows that, uh, for sure. Um, So... uh, by the way, while we were sitting here, my good friend Michael Thomas over at Trowell Golf and Country Club dropped in. So 
Mike's the director of instruction there, but Mike's also a very good rules official. So, Mike, hold on, I'm coming around, Mike. Mike, we're going to give, we're, we're, Mike did a nice seminar with my students on Zoom, by the way, but we're going to give Mike a chance here. Uh, what's the, uh, Mike, give us one. Dude, I'm, th- I'm totally throwing you on the spot here. Sure. Um, but one rule that our amateurs get wrong most of the time or uh, drop procedure, anything. Give us, give us something. Uh, uh, from a recreational player standpoint, the number one, I think, misunderstood uh, procedure is <clears throat> back on line relief when it comes to either uh, unplayable or penalty area relief. Everyone wants to think that it's the line that ball took going into that unplayable or going into that penalty area relief, and really it's it's a completely different line, which is uh, away from the flag. So uh, that's probably the number one <clears throat> the number one uh, rule I, I see that gets the most questions that. You know, when they're taking drops is is how we take back on line relief. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, did you voluntarily want to learn the rules? Because that is some really difficult, boring, boring. Really, really. Well, I wasn't going to say it that way, Mark. But and, and I've said this, and, and I've said this before. Like the the rules test is the hardest thing ever. I, I, but. Here, Go ahead, Mike. Here, here's, here, here's the uh, here's the here's the whole here, here's the whole deal with me and the rules. It, it it came to me right. It was one of those things that, like when I read them, they made sense. It's black and white. Uh, you've got it there in print in front of you. Um, it's either it's either one or the other uh, a lot of times, and and that just made sense to me. And and so it's just it just it just kind of stayed with me uh, for my entire career, and it's something I enjoy. Um, and, and the thing that I like from a playing standpoint is. There's only two rules in the game that matter. That is, you play the golf course as you find it, and you play the ball as it lies. And all the rest of the rules are just there for when you can't do one of those two things, right? It, all, the rules are just there to help you get out of all the rest. And so, yeah, they're boring, and they're pedantic, and they seem mundane. Right? Oh, I got to look they, that one up. Uh, I they, love that word. And they, seem, and they seem very mundane, and they seem very penal, and it's just one of those things that, like, no, they aren't really penal. They're, they're, you made a mistake, right? As a player, you made a mistake, and the rules are trying to help you out. So, um, you know, we all know that, 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 uh, they, that, that golf is a game of imperfect, not a game of perfect. And uh, when you're imperfect, the rules are there to, uh, to kind of help you out. Yeah, and here we are taking a selfie as we do this podcast. Way to go, Sean. But not to you know, spin right back, but I, I love that I came in kind of right in the middle of uh, – I saw that the discussion was really going towards uh, taking stuff from the range to the golf course. Mm-hmm. And, and my, my background, uh, my, my – um, uh, my my actual degree from college is in psychology, and so one of the things that I that I love talking to my players about is is the mental part of the game, the psychology of the game, and and sort of how we learn enough to take it out out to the golf course. And 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 I really think that you know Pat was kind of talking about the uh, the the practice aspect of pause here. Yeah, we. Yeah, there we go. There's the selfie. So, by the way, I'm not editing that uh, that uh, silence there. We were taking a selfie as a group. So, if that bothered you, just hit pause or just stop the podcast. Go ahead, Mike. Sorry. 
No, but but getting 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 it out to the golf course is is, is such is such a key component, and and the things that that I think that um, you know uh, so, that a lot of teachers, a lot of great teachers have is just an innate ability is to being able to to see their player and understand that they're going through something sometimes that has nothing to do with golf, and that's why they can they can't translate it to the golf course. Um, and I've seen you know over the course of my career. <laughs> There have been a number of lessons where I'll spend the entirety of a lesson not even talking about the golf swing and just talking to the person about, you know, what are they thinking about when they're on the golf course? What process are they going through when they're on the golf course? And, that, and, that, and they give such a good insight into how should they be practicing? You know, I have a junior right now who will be in a will be in a in a lesson and and he will be he'll be beating himself up over a miss and I'm telling him you are literally practicing how to beat yourself up mentally on the golf course yeah. like you are practicing negativity on the golf course and you cannot be doing that like you have to also practice the positive aspects and the positive mental approach when you're on the driving range and you know I can't stress my players enough if you're not practicing positive mental aspects on the driving range, you're not setting yourself up for success when you try to carry it over the golf course because it just isn't going to happen. That's perfect. That's perfect, Mike. Um, see, you just jumped in at the last second and gave us like a supercharge. I love it. All right, so all right, so we're going to wrap this thing up and we're going to work around the table a bit. So we're going to start with the president of our section, Andy. Looks like he's exhausted because it's been a long day here, uh, but. Andy, we're going to ask you, um, what's what's great about golf right now? Great about golf is that it's accessible. I mean, it's something that people can do outside with family. I mean, it's how you build relationships. And that's that's one of the best things about our game is that it's something we love to do, be outdoors with the people we love. And what better way to do it than on the golf course? Perfectly said. All right, Michael. Mike Thomas. One more time. What's great about golf? Uh, I think everything's great about golf. I mean, being with the people you love, um, doing something you enjoy, getting away from the reality of the world. I mean, um, you know, we just yeah, there, there's 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 always something that is just such a tough time out there, and, and golf can be your escape. And and you know, my goal as a teacher is to always help more people have more fun playing more golf more often. And if you can satisfy those three things for yourself, go have at it. Awesome, Mike. All right. Probably fails. The Riddler. What do you got, man? What's great about golf? It's a metaphor for life. <laughs> That's it. That's what you're going to leave us with? <laughs> you, you literally took... The ups and downs. You literally took 17 paragraphs to answer the other questions, and then you finish with, it's a metaphor for life. It is. It is. Dude, you are just... A piece of work. Okay, fun, but but true. He is the youngest. He is the rising star. He is the rising star at this table. Okay, all right. We're going with Mark Evenson. Then we're going to our uh, our vice president, Lynn Hunter. All right, Mark, two time section champion. Okay. We're, well, you want the question? Again? <laughs> <laughs> Andy, right. at the table, by the way. Well, yeah, well, clearly. Okay. All right, so you want to Hey, Mark, before it's your, before it's your bedtime, what is, what's great about golf? What's great about golf? You know what's great about golf is that everybody can play this game. It is a game of a lifetime. All right, everybody knows that stuff. But it still holds true. And it's what 
even now, with everything going on in the world, COVID actually helped. Something came out of this yeah. as a positive. People started to play golf, and they understood now more than ever what a great game it is. That's what I love about this game right now. Damn, Mark, I want to go out and play 18 now after that. Okay. <laughs> that was fantastic. All right, Lynn Hunter. Talk to me, Lynn. What's good about golf? The people you meet. Like, look at this table, right? The people that get you together to play golf. We have a common interest. The things we share. And even as an amateur, the people you meet on the golf course, the friends you make, the lifetime friends, and the careers that can be spawned from learning to play golf and showing up at a golf course. Fantastic. Fantastic, Lynn. Fantastic. All right. Big country. My education committee partner here. What do you got, buddy? What's good about golf? I mean, it's, it's, I'm going to piggyback a little bit off what Lynn said. I mean, it's, it's the relationships that you build. It's, I mean, you and me doing education stuff. It's yeah. Evo over here that I, I, you know, we harass and stuff about. <laughs> I, I wasn't even going to say the turtle today, but, I mean, you know, it, it, it's the things that the experiences Pat and I have on the golf course, shooting 10 under par for a round of golf. It's the things that that it builds, the places we've gotten to go to play golf. I mean, you know, um, I grew up in western Kentucky where, you know, the experiences of playing good golf courses, it was – uh, you know, I didn't get to do that. Now I get to play golf courses like a Baltimore Country Club and Kings Mill and, and playing the different places that we, we, we play in our tournaments and, and travel to go and play. Um, it's just the relationships and experiences are incredible. Awesome. Awesome, man. Awesome. All right, Chris George, what you got for me, buddy? Well, the truth is it's it's always about the pursuit of better. I mean, everybody at this table, everybody on the, listening to this podcast wants to get better. Mm-hmm. And it's what you do every day and how you practice and how much time you devote to practice and how much of your time you have to devote to practice, to getting better and playing more golf. Mm-hmm. And in doing that and developing the skills that you have, that's what makes you a better person. It's what makes you better at building relationships, and it's what makes you better at shooting lower scores. Chris is always so like, I want it's like Newt Rockney over here, I can't director I of instruction that. at Kingsville. Newt Rockney. All right, <laughs> Pat Corner, what do you got, man? I think it's. I mean, when you think of golf as a game, I mean, it, it's amazing to think that all of us sitting here at this table and all of us here at this this teaching summit, I mean, we're making a living in a game that we start playing as little kids. I mean, how many people get to do that? I mean, you think of professional athletes who are, are so fortunate, but in a sense, it's not on the same pay scale, you know, necessarily, but in a sense, we're so fortunate in that we, we make a living in the game that we've been playing since we were little kids. And, uh, and by and large, the, the most, you know, to me, the most precious part about it is the relationships. Lynn talked about it, but the relationships that we make, not only like all of us here at this table, I mean, my best friends are all of you all. It's, it's my colleagues in this business, but think of the people that we become close to uh, that we otherwise would have never ever met in our lives. I mean, I, I have, I have students that are. I have a student that's a billionaire. 
you know, bought and sold a couple companies, and he has a f- private jet, and, I mean, he's living a life that I'm not accustomed to. You know, I'm, I'm friends with doctors and lawyers and accountants and people that, that I just would have never, ever come into contact with if it weren't for this game. So, you know, we have our, our deep core friends, which are all these people at this table, and we all do the same thing, and we do the same thing day in and day out. But, but we also get to, in some sense, we're we're friends with royalty because this game brings everybody together, and it means so much to to everyone. So, to me, that's precious. Um, and then, I mean, we could talk about this all night long. You, you know, you can play the game until you're, you know, eighty as long as you're healthy. I mean, it, it just goes on and on. But golf is just unique in that in that aspect that it brings so many people together. Mark Russo, I want your opinion on that. Yep. Well, my opinion on it is pretty simple. I mean, it, and, and I'll finish it off, but it's, it's I didn't grow up in the game. Um, I didn't start playing until I was 17. A lot of my students know that, but at the end of the day, um, it's brought me, to me, it's brought me a sort of a life um, that I never expected. Um, and I was, you know, I was a whisker away from maybe not being in the golf business, but now I sit here with all of you and it's been, you know, a great experience. And at the end of the day, I've talked about it many times on the podcast and it's all about creating more joy for people. That's it. Golf is just a vehicle. That's what it is, right? Like I just happen to fall backwards into it, but at the end of the day, we're creating more joy for people. And there's something really special about that opportunity, right? So we're super lucky, right? So we're super lucky to be PGA members. Um, So uh, it's been a a, a fun, surreal, surreal, (laughs) uh, last-minute, impromptu, impromptu, (laughs) last-minute, beer-filled night. But I tell you what, I hope everybody listening um, picks up a couple things. I hope you pick up maybe a couple nuggets that will help your game. You certainly are going to get those. I also hope that you pick up the passion that all of us have for being PGA members and how much we love the game and how much we enjoy being uh, a part of this, of this association. Um, and, you know, we hope you see your local PGA professional because, you know, we love the game and we're, um, we're in, in this to help you get better. That's it. And we... We have as much passion for it as you do, maybe more. So thanks to everyone here. Thank you all for doing this tonight. This is fun, and uh, we'll do it again soon. Take care, everyone. Well, thanks for listening to that one. Uh, A lot of fun uh, off the cuff. Uh, We had a great time with that. I'm lucky to call all those folks my friends and fellow professionals. Uh, I hope also that you hear and feel our passion for the game. And what did you learn? Track your stats, stay in the present, don't look back or forward, and work smart on your game this year, not harder, smarter. Also want to pay our respects to uh, the late Troy Beck and the late Dean Hurst, who went into our Hall of Fame, lost too soon, and to Frank Lobber for his induction into our Hall of Fame. Congratulations, Frank. We'll do that again soon. Thanks much for listening. Until next time on the Driving Improvement Podcast, I'm Mark Russo, and we'll see you on the lesson team.